Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everybody Fits Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Kim. And this week we are speaking to Johnny. Now, Johnny is a coach, he's a health coach and an online trainer. Um, but he deals with or helps people deal with disordered eating. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, Johnny, and tell us a bit more about you. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, yeah, health coach, personal trainer, working online. Um, I help mostly people who suffer from disordered eating and sort of poor relationships with food. And my work is very counseling based alongside kind of exercise design based to help people with that, you know, help people change their sort of thoughts around food, change their, and then in doing so change their behaviors around food in a way of helping them return to what we would call quote unquote normalized eating you know and and helping them actually reduce the stigma over a lot of eating decisions that they may feel are are you know quote unquote bad um and and within that you know there's quite a healthy dose of helping them discover things like self-compassion and an improved body image and improved confidence in the self really because i find that a lot of people who suffer from quite you know extreme disordered eating habits through doing you know a multitude of different diets just kind of lose all confidence in making decisions you know like and and they lose confidence in how to eat and as a result they kind of self berate quite harshly you know that diet that diet language is very much a case of you know if you're not getting these results well then it's your fault and and there's a lot of that from trainers as well who don't understand their genetic uh, and lifestyle privilege that comes into it and I think then because you've got that echo chamber of misinformation and misunderstanding of the way the human body works it just creates you know what is an utter shit show for a lot of people um pardon my French <laughs> So how, how did you start doing this kind of, was it the, the online training that you started with, then you went down the, the, the disordered eating coaching or was it the other way around? No, no, it was, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you were to look back at the early episodes of my podcast and, you know, scroll back through my Instagram content, then you'd see you know, how to track your macros and how to calculate your calories and here are the best foods for fat loss. And, you know, here's how to stay fuller for longer and here's how you ignore hunger. And my whole message was completely against what I talk about now. Mm-hmm. And that's because I couldn't see my own disordered eating until it was shown to me, if that makes sense. So the way that my journey worked was that I was a, a bit of a, a, a bigger guy growing up even when I look back, you know, at, at certain stages of my life, I 100% wasn't, but I had this almost body dysmorphia of feeling bigger than I was. And that was down to having some weight stigma when I was sort of preteen that I carried through into teen and then went, you know, late teen when you get to a stage where you can drive and, you know, you've got free periods and there's a convenient shop across the road from school and I was eating like what would have been thousands and thousands upon calories a day, but, you know, super active bloke, but, you know, I did get a bit chunky again in my late teens. Um, I, you know, I, I, I just kept 
when I got into university and post-university, it was just all focused on like, man, how do I lose weight? You know, like I need to do this exercise and, you know, okay, well, this person, you know, mental health telling me to eat these foods and um, right now I'm doing CrossFit, you know, and they're talking about clean eating or the paleo diet or the zone diet. And I was just constantly in this like diet ridden world. And the only time I lost weight successfully and kept it off for a period of time was through calorie tracking. And so then when I found this that I thought was the elixir of health, I was like, right, I need to help other people do the same thing. You know, I was a coach at the time in a CrossFit gym and I was like, I'll help my CrossFit, you know, I'll help my members learn how to track their calories and get the, the results that they want that they're not seeing just by doing the gym. And there was, you know, mixed success. Some people would do okay. Some people wouldn't. And I'd be like, nah, you know, it's just, it's just people not doing what I tell them to do. And as I got more qualifications in nutrition, I was, you know, I, I kept this, this rhetoric, you know, my nutrition qualifications were probably both quite weight centric and, and talked a lot about, you know, c- calculating people's calories correctly. And there was a, a healthy dose of actual nutrition science as well, but it was this whole, like, it all boils down to energy balance. And this is the main way that you manipulate people's weight in order to improve their health. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I was just really analyzing my coaching methods and the you know varying success I've had with my clients and I was looking at my own lifestyle as well and thinking well you know I don't want to be tracking my calories forever like this isn't what I want for my lifestyle and I would have these swings of body weight that were manipulated by whether I was tracking or not and I was like well I don't want that to be the case either and it wasn't until I did a um, a master health coaching certification where I was introduced to the concept of disordered eating of like you know manipulating your food intake and tightly controlling it and and I learned about you know bulimia and orthorexia and excessive exercise and and I was just like you know these these things are like raising a lot of red flags here in terms of sort of things I've been doing and still were currently doing Mm. and it wasn't until that certification that I was looking at like you know consistency in people's eating habits and that led me to intuitive eating as well which when I was younger I'd, I'd created content against you know I was like how can we listen to our bodies? You know, if I listen to my body, I'd be having Domino's pizza and cookies every night. But it's, you know, of course I was because I was, you know, tightly controlling my intake and, and had all of these food rules. And so it wasn't until I read that book and did that certification that I was like, holy crap, you know, like I'm living a lie. <laughs> and and I had to do what seems like a pretty dramatic U-turn, you know, and, and, and I've created content about that. And, and, you know, I speak about that on my podcast a lot where, my podcast has a lot of episodes and I'm very much like, you know, if you're, please don't go back. <laughs> there are some that are very nutritional science based because I kind of did it as I was still learning a lot of nutrition science. And, you know, there's a lot of maybe like great information on hydration or like different types of fats and things. But a lot of the content about like, you know, how to lose weight was all very weight centric and, you know, calorie focused. Um, but I guess that's just part of the journey of a professional. Like it's good to be able to, continue evolving and realize where you were wrong I think um and and that's how I've kind of ended up with the practice I have now and with the clients I have now because it's very much a case of you know actually you're lacking consistency in your eating habits because you're doing things that inevitably are unsustainable be that calorie tracking or not and I'm, I'm very specific with that with clients that I have clients now who who do lose a fair bit of body weight but it is just through returning to their cues and I'm, I'm very 
upfront by saying that's not like a given you know I don't use before and afters in my program you know in my selling anymore and I very much talk about the benefits of working with me being that relationship with food piece rather than and improvement of health with that being said you know rather than being uh, as weight focused as it used to be I think it's um really really good that you've still got those podcast episodes and you've not deleted them and also the content as well because it shows your own growth and I think that that's so important and it's such a I've said this before on the podcast it's such like a strength of character for you to kind of like for people to step back and look at what's working what's not working what's helping people and what's not um and it just shows that honesty as well and I think as a coach you've got to people come to you because you know they need to trust you what you're doing um and what you're saying and um I just wish all fitness professionals like professionals were able to sort of take a step back but I suppose it's because the the education is is very very much focused on um you know lose exercise for fat loss exercise to lose yeah. weight and, you know, no, it, is. And, it is it is Kim yeah because like you know I was looking back at my certifications and and things that I've done and and then even the so the one that I did that was the master health co- co- the master health coaching certification story was the precision nutrition level two like remastered. And it was all very like new new content. And I ended up doing it twice because they revamped it a second time, literally during the season that I was doing it. And it became much more about how to coach people. So there was a lot of lessons in motivational interviewing and and things like that. And I'm I'm fortunate in that I did a lot of that work myself and a little bit of work in cognitive behavioral therapy as well. And then it was just interesting to find intuitive eating because you know the certification process of that is a counseling certification so to kind of combine motivational interviewing which is used in health counseling with cbt and then an intuitive eating framework i was like it felt like the stars were kind of aligning in that position and you know i'm i'm 32 now and i've been in the health industry since i was 21 and so i think it's good to showcase that journey because if i was to talk to the you know, 25 year old fitness professionals who've done an online PT course and then have done, you know, like maybe the nutrition certification that I started with, which was very weight centric and and run by someone who, you know, self-proclaimed had a lot of kind of body dysmorphia and disordered eating practices from their own history. Uh, you know, I could say, okay, yeah, you've done an evidence-based course, but so have I. And, and I've continued to look at that evidence to then see how actually the evidence that we have here probably been taught and here are the reasons why a lot of the beliefs that um younger or people that have just come into the industry have uh, concreted by the education and what's out there and um you know and and, it, and it's that knowledge of there's a, another that's a whole nother way to live and mm. it's like figuring out that actually this isn't normal eating a lot of the time. This is this isn't this is disordered eating. Um, but but people obviously people don't realize that. And you learn, as you say, through experience. And, you know, and I, I was saying about genetics and how, you know, a lot of the um people that do go into fitness is due to um 
you know genetics and they and they feel like oh well it works for me then you just have to do what I do eat what I do work out the same way and then you'll just look like me which obviously as we know is rubbish and there there needs to be more space for diversity within the fitness industry and and I think then it would just help so many people um to be able to to move their bodies and and feel better about themselves 100% yeah, hundred percent. I think you know that genetic piece is so important because, as you mentioned, like a lot of people will go into health and fitness because they are already people that are very active and enjoy it, and and or maybe very you know lean and muscular, and and they're like, hey, like I love going to the gym and doing these things, and I'm I'm going to become a PT because I don't resonate with you know any academia in any way and stuff. And I mean that's just how people find their feet in life in general, right? You know, it's and it's <clears throat> it's interesting when you look at that from a from a talent perspective or a skill perspective because things like um playing an instrument or singing you know like you're going to be better at that if you've started at a younger age and if your parents do it and they're and that you know that way of thinking of oh well i i exercise like this and eat like this and therefore if you do the same thing you'll get these great results it's just not true and that's that that's the cognitive distortion of of linear thinking of like well the you know the the more I work and the more I do these things then I'll get the results that like that person has and and when when you then don't get the results even if you've done everything you know by the book it's like oh well I'm the failure yeah rather than actually it just being completely outside of your control yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no I I remember years ago and I probably shouldn't admit this because it's quite embarrassing I was obsessed with looking I suppose like so many other people Kim Kardashian I was like we've got the same name so you know we're halfway there and I was like I so so wanted to like you know have the curves and I do have the curves but not like obviously Kim Kardashian and um and and I and it was it was that whole thing of like oh I just want to look like her and then I yeah and obviously it it's just there's absolutely no way and and then she doesn't even look like her because most of the stuff that she puts out is like um she doesn't look like her now that she looked like two months ago because she's had an entire overhaul because she's following yeah. a few body trends. So I think, yeah. and I think if people don't look at that and realise that we're going to be constantly, if, you, if you're trying to look like the body shape of now and they're constantly changing what the trendy body shape is, then you're gonna be con- you're gonna be doing it for the rest of your life because she's just dropped like four dress sizes by removing their backside and removing their boobs and like mm-hmm. like the average person can't do that. It's not just genetics; it's finances. It's like access to the the best surgeons and doctors and nutritionists and and everything. So yeah, it is it is unattainable. Um, what I was going to ask is when you were going, so obviously you were changing all of your, your coaching while you were doing all of your qualifications, moving away from the macros into more of the intuitive eating approach. Mm-hmm. Were you still training the same clients and how did they deal with that switch over? Because it, it, as much as you were learning all of these things, for mm-hmm. them it's just kind of, you've been talking about one way of, of eating for such a long time and then all of a sudden it's like you flip this switch onto something else or mm. were they comfortable with it and how did you actually do that 
Yeah, because like there are probably there are a handful of clients who I've had throughout this entire time, and that's because of my um, exercise design elements of the service. You know, so there are some people who really benefit, genuinely benefit and appreciate the fact that I have certain skills within programming workouts, and they've you know bought into that process and love the fact that whether they move house or change job or whatever like that, they're still going to be physically active and that's going to be progressive and you know and they enjoy that adaptability and and it was interesting because I've, I've got a couple of blokes who I work with who were really banging their head against the wall with the you know kind of like macro tracking and then you know we, we started to focus more on on habits and then um and that was kind of working better but there was still almost like an all or nothing attitude of like you know am I doing the habit or not type thing and then when we when I started to learn more about intuitive eating and we were talking more about principle-led behaviors and more about almost like mindset shifts really about you know this unconditional permission to eat and honoring hunger and and satisfaction and stuff it was like they were like oh yeah like this makes perfect sense you know why weren't we doing this the whole time you know and I like said you know like read listen listen to the book or read the book you know and and it was very much a collaborative process that entire time um but then you know with other people it was a little bit confusing if, if there was a bit of a mismatch in values or especially with the content that I was putting out there for a long time it was like I was learning all of these new things and then I was still talking about fat loss and it just felt a bit like awry and and there was also a case of that of me working with a certain um you know fitness business mentor and a lot of that's very much a case of like promising sort of big result in shorter time frame and and a lot of that in terms of marketing and, and I was being pushed down that road of like creating sort of free challenges or paid challenges but then having to have like some form of result um and you know like doing a five-day fat loss kickstarter for example but then day one being like let's learn how to eat mindfully and people were like what the hell is going on <laughs> it just didn't it just did there wasn't a, there wasn't a connection there wasn't like a vibe if that makes sense yeah. um so it was a and, and it was difficult for me because I, I was working with a client recently who, <clears throat> you know, she was absolutely loving this kind of anti-diet vibe and this idea of actually like, yeah, I just want to turn down all of these food thoughts and improve my body image and relationship with myself. And she was a content manager for a really big women's fat loss brand. And, and actually she was someone who had yo-yoed within that even though she worked for them you know and she'd been sort of on and off their own coaching and she felt stigma from the you know from the director of the company because she was bigger again and it was like you know it's your fault type thing whereas actually learning about all of this it was like you know she obviously left that company but giving her life back and she helped me with that kind of not changing my values because they'd already changed but then communicating that through content again mm, and yeah. being like you know having the confidence to do that so you know the last sort of few months it's just been very much a case of this is who I am and what I do I still have some clients who want to lose weight and I'm like there's nothing wrong with that mm. it's just what we're going to be working on is definitely this intuitive eating weight neutral model and developing sort of healthier habits around exercise and stuff as well and they will benefit you no matter what so only time will tell how that how that kind of goes by do you get many um much sort of pushback or 
trolls or anything on social media with the, the fact that you're pushing this other narrative is there many people that come back and sort of argue with you I'm lucky in that I don't have a massive account <clears throat> so I haven't had a lot of it mm. um I've had some of it but only when I've been on different accounts yeah so with precision nutrition they because you know their values have shifted and it's interesting to see that they don't um although their sales pages and stuff are still live i don't think they still do their coaching for men and women at the moment hmm. i remember subscribing to their like pre-sale and you know so i don't think anything that at the moment and when i listen to the Bradley show podcast he's hmm. sort of for every size and also in the obesity world about the kind of issue of genetics and the idea of metabolically healthy obesity and stuff and at the end he talks about how he probably contributed to weight stigma negatively in the past and how he was very sorry about that and i found that a really interesting series um they produced a reel that was like bigger people next to smaller people and said not everybody who is bigger is unhealthy just like not everybody who is smaller is healthy mm. and that as a statement i don't think you can argue with yeah but the comment section was an absolute dumpster fire and, what was, most what was that one sorry you just that, used... was, that, that was on their uh, instagram page it was a reel whose instagram sorry it cut out just as you said I, you you were frozen as well um <clears throat> the precision nutrition yeah. instagram they produced a reel that was bigger people alongside smaller people and said you know not everybody in a bigger body is unhealthy just like not everybody in a smaller body is healthy and it was like you know leave a blue heart if you agree and I don't think there's there's anything you can argue with that statement. Mm -hmm. But the comment section was awful. Yeah. And what was more awful about the comment section was that it was all fitness professionals mm. who were having a go at precision nutrition and saying, no, you know, you're wrong. And like, you've, you know, you've, you've lost your way. You've gone woke and all of this awfulness. And I was like, you know, I was like, for one team, like, you're completely losing the nuance here um and you know i was like there are increasingly you know increasing studies of metabolically healthy obesity there's also increased studies of people who are of uh you know a, a larger body size having you know healthy physiological markers and improved wellness particularly if they follow certain eating paradigms and exercise paradigms despite weight loss not being a metric and that's one of the only times i've had negative backlash was people saying like you're just cherry picking data and all the rest of it and and my reply was well you have to remember that the things that you've been taught is that weight is an association with negative health outcomes and you can't go onto someone else's platform and say well artificial sweeteners aren't bad for your health because here's this associational data that shows it isn't and then not accept associational data in a different study just because it doesn't suit your bias I was like, you can't argue association doesn't equal causation in one study mm. and then in another argue that it does, because if so, then you're just a hypocrite. So, you know, which one is it? And uh, that didn't go down well. No. <laughs> they, ended up, they, they ended up removing the reel. Oh, no. Which is really upsetting because if it has reached the right audience, it, it, it would have been empowering, if anything, but... It, 
it's just incredible. It's just it just baffles my mind because you know Nike became, came under um, fire when they produced an advert with bigger people wearing their clothing, mm. and and apparently they were promoting obesity, you know, mm. you know, promoting unhealthy lifestyles. And it's like you you have you, you know you have no idea the lifestyles that people in bigger bodies lead. And I often um, find that that is really hypocritical because people who criticise people for being in bigger bodies are often telling them to lose weight and exercise yeah, and who, who are you trying to help? Yeah, who are you trying to help? But, but then if you're then criticising these brands for making fitness wear that is appropriate for people in bigger bodies and telling them yeah. that it's disgusting, well then what are exactly. they supposed to wear? Are they what, what, are they, what are they supposed to wear when, you, when you're telling them to do their 10,000 steps a day and eat their yeah. bloody broccoli that they've weighed out on a weighing scale because they fucking hate their life, you miserable wanker. Honestly, <laughs> it's, it's, it's awful. I love that. We can use that as a soundbite. <laughs> Just that. <laughs> uh, so how do you how do you start the intuitive eating approach? Because I imagine as well there are extremes of people, like people who are of seriously disordered eating, have been doing it for years and really stuck in it, and people who are kind of disordered eating, but. I don't want to say just a little bit, but I think everybody is somewhere on the scale and has some kind of disordered eating habit, but you wouldn't necessarily say it's disordered eating. It's just something that's like a little bit weird. And then people yeah. who have been doing it for 20 plus years and not even realizing they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and cause that's, that's the thing, right. It's, it's that when I was learning about disordered eating on, this certification and they were like you know just just a heads up here like a lot of these things might be raising up alarm bells for you or things that you currently do and there is a, a case of there being certain you know nutritional habits which are beneficial for either like you know building and maintaining muscle mass or improving health and, and it's kind of having that where's the fine line between these things of like disordered eating habits versus just eating health thing be different for the individual there are obviously the you know the 10 principles of intuitive eating which are good to teach across the board and you know five of them are about um you know honoring your biological cues and then the other five are about removing obstacles to those things so it's almost like you know half of them are about your biological signals and picking up internal regulation and the other five are about mindset and you know changing those cognitive thoughts and it's very much about valuing that person of where they are on on that scale you know like is it more a mental attitude that, that's holding them back is it a behavioral thing more in terms of just picking up different habits and helping them adopt them you know what does that look like and and, and very much it's about speaking with the client about the things that they want to do and helping them start with what feels accessible to them so with some clients that are very very you know meticulous about controlling their intake that's a safety behavior and you, you wouldn't get them to completely stop mm -hmm. yeah. you know like I, I worked with a woman who was she had a history of eating disorders but wasn't clinically diagnosed at the time and and was um you know discharged from her last sort of service which is why she was kind of in that like transitional phase and, and that's a really difficult place to be in because there are people that are discharged from these services who aren't fully recovered and you've got to think well actually like who do they go to if they're not 
getting you know specific help on the national health service because they don't fit certain criteria or because their weight restored or, or whatever um and it was a case of we had to very much remain with some control but it was about relinquishing some of it yeah and what you know what they felt comfortable with was kind of the starting block and actually lot of them the beginning work was about that okay we can keep the meticulous food control but let's have counseling sessions over your relationship with food and your mindset around it because it's changing those thoughts that is going to start influencing the behaviors over time and and that's a very different thing about my coaching service now is like a lot of online coaching is based on weekly check-ins and making progress every damn week and like you know even if it's habit-based coaching it can feel like you must be doing your habit every day or be doing it more often this week than you were last week so that's what progress is and that's so difficult to do all of the time whereas if you're just having a counseling session with someone and then having maybe an exercise to perform a couple of times a week or a resource to read or look at or maybe a sheet to do that's the level of coaching that's actually accessible to the everyday person rather than like right wear yourself every damn day here's the habit that you must do every day you know meditate every day at six and make sure you do those ten thousand steps every day okay like you've only done eight thousand that's fine tomorrow do twelve thousand you're like well tomorrow twelve thousand tomorrow really well don't worry you know if you do eight thousand again you know you can do fourteen thousand on friday it's like holy shit this isn't flexible (laughs) this isn't this isn't sustainable what the hell is going on and that's why people would burn out of coaching you know, I don't have the energy anymore to kind of keep up with this weekly check-in and keep up with these like habits all of the time. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like too much. Whereas having that conversation with someone every week or every fortnight, and then in the space between those consultations, they're able to, you know, process that material. Maybe they are working on a behavior, but it's not a case of like, do it every day. It's just a case of like, okay, how can I start to fit this into my life? Mm-hmm. That's, that's manageable coaching. Yeah. And I think that's really important to note. There isn't a one size fits all. And and I always say that with personal training in general, like it's not, it's personal training. You don't write one program and teach the same thing to everybody. And I know that some people do that and they they sell those programs and that's, that's great for them. But if you're looking at what people want out of their coach and the majority of my clients come because they want to do something and they want to move their bodies and they'll leave here and they'll have moved and it's not for any reason other than they enjoy it and then they'll come back the next week and they'll do something different and sometimes they'll do things in between and sometimes they don't and with intuitive eating it's funny because we've had this conversation before where I've said I intuitively eat in a different way to other people I know And I would describe my intuitive eating very much like the client you've just described because I've got history of eating disorder. So Mm -hmm. as much as I am a million miles from where I was in the depth of the eating disorder, it is always very difficult for me to be completely like let go of everything because on top of that, I've got layers of, I've got issues with my kidneys. So I've been told from being, you know, five years old that if I gain too much weight, that will impact my health. And I've got polycystic ovaries where you 
have the the issue of you know you're more prone to weight gain so it's always in the back of my mind for health reasons but to be able to walk into a restaurant now and know that I can sit down and eat something and enjoy it rather than spending three weeks before I go to the restaurant perusing the menu and trying to figure out the calories and stressing over it and I think it's it it's exactly what you say every every person has you have to have a different approach with them because Mm. everyone is so individual and when it when it comes to it so what was it like for you when you realized that that your habits were slightly disordered and you try to approach them for yourself um yeah it was it was it it was difficult because there was that realization of of um you know I'd, I'd had this period of like weight cycling over the last however many years and thinking okay well maybe this is like why that's the case you know this this like in, inconsistency in in what I was trying to do and I've been trying to move away from calorie tracking for a long time and and build better internal signals um and so I'd, I'd already been doing that for a long time and it was about recognizing why that was so important and and the journey into sort of like intuitive eating and that was a kind of next step because before that I'd been very much like mindful eating but it was mindful eating alongside um you know maybe doing uh you know quite high protein and like low carb maybe on sort of like just the mornings and then introducing more carbs throughout the day and there were like all these different things I was I was trying and it was it was still like mindful eating in order to eat less in order you know eat less at the beginning of the day because then I can have like more in the evening and it was still there was still very much just some like weird things going on that I was doing and the approach into intuitive eating about right well let go like you know mindful eating isn't about eating as slow as possible in order to like eat less it's just genuinely about checking into your hunger and satisfaction and you know that journey into satisfaction being a key thing you know allowing yourself just to have a peanut butter and jam bagel you know because previously i'd be like yeah but i have to have some protein with that meal yeah you know and, and like don't get me wrong like eating a higher protein diet can be helpful for muscle building and maintenance but that whole like yeah but it has to be at every meal yeah. like that's that's a, yeah. an all or nothing habit you know, like, oh, you have to have vegetables at every meal. Like, Jesus Christ, like, what am I going to do? Like, have a salad with my cereal or something, you know? <laughs> Obviously, okay, I can make tomatoes with eggs, you know, if I have the inclination to, but sometimes I don't, I just don't want that. And and the freedom to have a dinner that might just be pasta and cheese. Mm. And be like, yeah, okay, I know that over the week, I'm probably going to be eating enough protein. And actually, it's more important for my satisfaction to really enjoy this meal and to have those experiences and then find that it was stopping me from overeating like later on, that was what was really eye-opening for me. You know, like, okay, if I have a peanut butter and jam bagel, because I really want that for breakfast or whatever, and then I'm not eating sweets or candy in the evening, that's like a powerful connection for me. Um, I'm having a dinner that I actually really want rather than forcing it to be some form of like protein dish mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I, and I'm, eat raw. I'm having pizza 
thinking yeah. that I can't have it again the next day. So I'm having pizza and I'm stopping halfway through yeah. and I'm saving the rest for the next day rather than having all of the pizza to get rid of it. And I'm just thinking, oh, it's okay. It's just a high calorie day. I can eat fewer calories tomorrow. Even though I wasn't calorie tracking, I could still have that mindset. Mm -hmm. So then embracing intuitive eating was a very different mindset for me on that. Yeah, I, I remember when I was in the depths of it, I uh, I had like really bad protein anxiety. Like yeah. if I didn't have enough protein, and I've spoken about this before on my um on my own channels and that, you know, it, in actual fact, the anxiety that it causes is mm. counterproductive to your health anyway. Um it, it's ridiculous what um what what's your body image like now you've gone through that process <clears throat> far better mm. and don't get me wrong it's not that I'm always a million you know really happy with it because I'm not no um and and I still have some tendencies of like body checking and things like that and I think there's a there's an increased pressure of someone who's in the wellness space and but I'm then also very grateful for privileges I have with my body you know I've weight you know I've weight trained since I was 17 18 so while well, I'm 32 it's a like a long time of of being weight you know 14 years of weightlifting I'm I'm quite broad-shouldered I've got quite muscular arms got quite a muscular torso and so I carry off you know t-shirts and polo shirts well but I'm slightly bigger wasted you know I've got large thighs from years of playing rugby and then years of CrossFit where like every day is leg day and so you know jeans and trousers don't fit me that great and and formal shirts don't look amazing it uh, you know but again I'm you know I'm, I'm thinking of like I'm being quite judgmental and thinking quite classic male aesthetic here which mm -hmm. is driven by you know movies and tvs and magazines so I I'm very thankful for my privilege as well as then, you know, I have worked very hard in the gym, which has influenced that shape, but there's a genetic, obviously predisposition for me to put on muscle quite easily, which I'm very thankful for. And so it's reading about body image and, and then understanding the genetic, you know, the genetic component of someone's ability to change then helps me accept it yeah. so like body acceptance and body neutrality is very different to body positivity mm. yeah. and actually that's the place where we need to get to because there's nothing wrong with you know there, there's this idea like there's nothing wrong with like wanting to improve yourself but it's coming from a place of like yeah but if nothing happened would I still be happy yeah and am I doing things for an aesthetic purpose or am I doing them because of like health and enjoyment and, you know, I can genuinely say that, like, any exercise that I do is from a place of enjoyment and health rather than forcing my body into a different shape. And it didn't used to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's and, and it's interesting because I'm probably I haven't weighed myself for a long time. Last time I actually weighed myself was just because I was trying to weigh my dog. And I had <laughs> the only way that I could do it because they're, they're both like growing Labrador puppies. You know, they're so big now. The only way I could do it was basically to carry them onto our scales and then take them away to then see the difference mm -hmm. and you know I took it with a pinch of salt because it was middle of the day and I was fully clothed but I was like oh that's quite high <laughs> but you know I'm 20 kilos heavier than I'm at my leanest yeah and far far happier yeah and and I talk about that I talked about that in my content just the other day about when I was at my very leanest I was still trying to get leaner 
So yeah. what does that tell you about body image? And I say that to clients all the time. We talk a lot about um, women's body image, um, but do you have quite a lot of male clients and, and do they struggle in the same ways as women, women's body image? I don't have as many male clients as I have female clients at the moment. And I am trying to change that. Not mm. anything against women. You know, I love working with both sexes and, and you know, any any sort of, um, you know, gender neutral people as well. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't niche and I, I work with anyone. But I'm trying to talk more about how men can struggle with that too because of it being seen more of a effeminate issue. And, and also it's interesting because when I was reading the, because there is a book called the Bonnie Image Book for Boys oh. and it's written for more like preteen, teenage boys, but it's so useful for like men my age, you know, adult men to read about why we might struggle and how, and, and the difference between like women are more likely to resonate with the words like diet, dieting and being thin Whereas with men, it's about being like jacked, ripped, lean, but like strong. Yeah. And and that's the allure and the allure to like train too much or take steroids and things like that. And the reasons as to why. And it's funny because men have just this like block of like talking about their feelings or like the way that they feel and think about like food. And it's almost as if they gravitate toward this boot camp style PT where it's like, yeah, come on, let's skyrocket your confidence and energy and be the, you know, be the warrior you need to be and the role model you need to be. And it's like, yeah, but you're just going to do hit twice a day and, you know, eat far too many vegetables that your body can process and, you know, alienate yourself from your family because you're being told that's like the role model you're you need to be like to be strong for your family. Yeah. And I'm over here being like, actually, you know, <laughs> connecting to your biological cues and you know, understanding your body image struggles and yeah, exercising so that you can be there for your kids and play with your kids. But you know, understanding that actually they probably rather you eat with them and play with them than you know, boil broccoli and go to the gym. Like actually, that would be you know, that would make you a great guy. And they're like, yeah, you're a bit too empathetic for me, Johnny. So it's, you know, it's I, I do connect with a lot of men that are maybe as in touch with their feelings as I am. And I've worked with some blokes who have been really like, I can't believe how ridiculous like my food thoughts were, you know, like this paralysis I had of going to TGI Fridays with my family and trying to, you know, log macros on my phone and things like that, you know, and like the ability to be more present with them because they're like, yeah, I can go bike riding with my family rather than hitting the gym because I'm now not, you know, and I, I'm not under the pressure to hit 10,000 steps a day. So I can actually like spend time with my child when I get home from work rather than having to go out on another walk. You know, it's, it's, it's shit like that that I wish that I could get across to more men, which is why I'm trying to talk about it more yeah. from a guy's perspective. But I think, I think we have a long road there. I think that's really, really important. You know, there is a lot of pressure on on um, on men, and and you know, even if you look at young boys, like my little boy, um, when he was 
superhero ones we're all padded with yeah. like the muscles and the pecs yeah. and the six pack and stuff and it's like every little boy wants to be a superhero or most little boys and then they'll get the, the costume and it'll be like pad and you'll get these little kids that are like all muscles and it's just it just look it's, it's not great is it and that kind of sets them up and gets yeah they talk, about it. they talk about it in the body image book for boys where um fig you know action figures and things like that have got slimmer waists and bigger biceps and pecs than they ever have and that's changed over the last 50 years you know there have been interesting pictures of like the comparisons of james bond in the 60s to james bond in the noughties um and and the woman the body so the woman who wrote body image book for boys was on a friend of mine's podcast and she spoke about studies where even young boys as young as six mm. are now talking about the desire to gain muscle. It's like you've not even started puberty yet. Yeah. Crazy. But I, d- I think there is definitely, with younger celebrities, there's definitely more honesty around it, which I think is a good thing. I think it's been like... Um, Zac Efron and Channing Tatum in the last couple of months have come out talking about roles where they've had to be completely ripped for them. And I think Channing Tatum was doing an interview and he was like, absolutely wouldn't want to look like that all the time. It was hell. Like I had to train twice a day. My diet was so controlled. It was stressful. I felt like crap. And and I think it's important for them to be saying these things because otherwise yeah, people are going to be looking at them and thinking, well, that's what I'm supposed to look like. It, it, actually, it was Zach Efron when he was talking about, um, oh God, what was the one where he was a lifeguard? Baywatch. Baywatch. And he said it was so unsteady. He said it was horrible, absolutely yeah. awful. And yeah, you look at him and great, he's got washboard abs and huge muscles and he looks like amazing, but it's the majority of people can't have abs anywhere. And he, again, going back to he, you have had nutritionists and trainers and dietitians and everybody telling him what to eat and how much to train and when to train and exactly how it. And it's just... But then people are looking at them and thinking, well, I want to look like that. And it's it's not a possibility. And then you do start to look at your own body and your body image. And, and I think it can start from such a young age now, but also it can appear out of nowhere. So my, my husband, you won't mind me saying this, He's 32, and in the last year, it's probably the first time I've ever seen him be body conscious. And he's got a very um, pressured office job, works really long hours, and has found himself in a position where he doesn't have a lot of time to exercise anymore. He really used to enjoy exercise and he'd go out for runs and he used to weight train, but we've got a one-year-old now. So when he's he's not working, it's a choice between does he want to spend half an hour doing exercise or does he want to have half an hour with her before she goes in the bath and goes to bed? And I think it's it's nothing to do with like how much he wears or like is is body shit it's just because I think even having that little bit of time to exercise it's it makes you feel 
better in your body but all of a sudden he doesn't have that time so he's mm-hmm. he's feeling more conscious about it and I think it's exactly what you were saying about do they want to do your clients want to spend that time getting the extra steps in or do they want to spend time playing with the kids yeah. like that's what he wants to do he wants to spend his time playing with the kids and that is way yeah. more important but it's double-edged sword of course it is you know and then and, and how bad would it be to to have an advert from a you know 25 year old personal trainer with washboard abs telling them that we all have the same 24 hours in a day yeah and, and you just have to want it more and it's like just get fucked you yeah. know what is wrong with you um and <clears throat> yeah it, it's horrific really because you <sighs> marketing is all about marketing to pain points and analyzing where like a client's you know feeling their pain and and twisting the knife and or that's what a lot of marketing can be and, in, mm-hmm. and and then trying to make their life better by showing that you have the solution to their pain. And I can understand that when you're talking about like a, a messy house and being like, you know, I've got a vacuum cleaner that that's automatic and you just set it off. And then it's like, great, that actually really solves a problem for me. But like when you're talking about health-based help and you see that with people like, you know, you're sick of having, you know, that, that belly roll over your jeans and and you know you know sick of feeling like a piece of crap I mean that's this might as well be what they're saying then and we have this solution you know you just have to download this little blue app I'll give you this guide that is not personalized to you at all I've just actually got it from a design company that works for fitness professionals and it's just got my name on it and then I'll give you some macro targets and I'll have a call with you once a week to ask you why you're not sticking to it like that's that's coaching and 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 then that that it's why I've I've searched for like different names for myself because I've talked to people who I was talking to a forty odd year old woman the other day who her and I are in a similar entrepreneur group and she was showing me these messages from a health a nutrition coach she'd worked with that was like you know <clears throat> four hundred and fifty quid or something for six weeks of coaching so not cheap. And it was just a really, really rigidly low macro plan with a couple of meal plan examples. And then you just had to screenshot your body weight once a week through WhatsApp. And this person was basically saying that all women are, you know, functioning alcoholics. And if she just stopped drinking the wine, she'd see better results. And like all of these horrific statements. And you're like, if I'm being compared to that person, I've got no chance. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, go, going back to the point of your, you know, your husband, it's a real shame then, isn't it, that he feels he, he his body, obviously you said that it's maybe more, he feels less active and then that's yeah. compounding into feeling a bit, maybe more sluggish or whatever. But then it's about, well, as you said, what are your current values and, and what is actually physically possible? And, you know, we have to look at that realistically. Like I've got a, a guy who's a, a dentist and has two young kids and and we had that exact exact same chat. So actually what he does is that he goes into his garage gym at like half seven, eight after his kids have gone to bed. But because it's late and he's worked a big day, you know, he doesn't want to do this huge massive session or this really intense session because it would just it would just screw him over. Yeah. But it's just like a quick 20 minute resistance training workout. And it's like because that's what's manageable for him. Mm-hmm. And so it's about making it accessible. And then helping people with their body image, you know, because it's a case of you don't, as you said, these people who are actors and, and all the rest of it, they've got 
teams and teams of people and all the day to do it because that that is their job yeah. and and yeah. some of them some of them you know even use performance enhancing drugs to get as big as they feel they need to for certain roles yeah. tom hardy was very open about that with the role of bane yeah yeah and it's it's all being sold as the look of health when in actual fact it's the complete opposite and that this is what we need the narrative that we need to get away from um in order to make it to make health and fitness more accessible because if you're telling people the absolute lie blatant lie that this look is healthy for the majority if not all of the population it's not healthy um you know and and I think some people are starting to wake up to it, but I think there's still a, you know, a hell of a lot of people that are, you know, fooled by it, unfortunately. Mm. And and that mm. ultimately what is what does affect body image, um, which is quite sad. If you were giving advice to someone who is sort of just waking up, recognising that, they had some disordered eating habits and they wanted to step away from them what would you say is the best first step to take obviously other than getting in touch with you and and yeah. you know starting to develop all these habits yeah everyone come to me <laughs> no um, no it's a great question because I think that's um that that beginning of an awareness piece can be quite tough mm-hmm. because it's a case of like you know do I believe this or not mm-hmm. and and when I was talking to you just then about you know the time periods we have and genetics and you know some people having genetically lower body fat and then also having just very active lifestyles because they work in that avenue and and those two combining together to produce certainly you know, physiques for some people who will then maintain it easier. You know, that there, there might be a thought of like, well, other people are just lazy or, or even that from someone waking up, they might think, well, no, I'm just being lazy. I'm not trying hard enough. And it's like, no, no, you definitely, you know, you aren't lazy and, and you are trying hard enough, but you've got a different set of circumstances and a different body and you need to understand what you're actually capable of and, and move forward from a place of acceptance rather than shame. Um, and if you're waking up and you're thinking, yeah, you know, like I've tried to count my calories or I'm, you know, I'm so preoccupied with food all the time because I'm really trying to tightly control my intake because I think people need to understand what's disordered and what's normal. Because that's, a, you know, it, it, it's something I wonder about with calling myself a disordered eating coach, whether people would even know what that means or recognize they have that habit. Um, I've spoken to men and women who are like, oh, I don't have disordered eating habits. And then we talk about more about the habits and they're like, oh yeah, no, I don't allow, I don't have bread in the house because if I have it, I'll just eat the whole loaf. And like, you know, last time my partner bought bread in the house, I was eating little bits of it, but leaving the slices there. So it was just a bunch of holy bread in the, in the bread bin. His partner's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and they're like, well, actually that, you know, that's, that's not a normal relationship with food. And there's a difference between having a health related goal. So like, eating more protein, eating more fruits and vegetables versus having to have them in every damn meal and feeling constantly on and off track and, you know, having these really tight rules and then, you know, being all or nothing with your food, which is a disordered eating behavior. So it's knowing the line. But what I'd say to people who are maybe recognizing that is just have that compassion that that would be a weird realization 
because you're almost starting to question things that you think you should be doing and that's quite a difficult transition to go through but I'd, I'd understand that that's going to be tough and then lean you know lean into it mm. start to start to question why that might be you know start to look at intuitive eating profiles on Instagram and and or you know Google or Facebook like you know search those topics Google the topic and try and read as much as you can around it you know stop googling intermittent fasting and keto and low carb and Atkins and the best way to lose weight but start googling intuitive eating mm-hmm. and start googling you know disordered eating behaviors and see where that rabbit hole leads you instead it's about asking a different question basically mm-hmm. because what we need to find is this way of sustainably eating for the rest of our lives and people are so scared about being bigger because of the knock-on effect of their health because that's what we're told whereas actually if they could see the negative health consequences of constantly dieting yo-yo dieting and weight cycling both Mm -hmm. psychologically and physically then there would be a change because people don't realize that, you know, when we look at longitudinal studies of dieting, how the weight, you know, the weight is up and actually the physiological change that people suffer is worse, but that's because of the weight cycling rather than just the body weight. And just, you know, there's, there's so much negative connotations there that people don't realize. Mm, I always say, I've said this so many times before that um, once you start, realizing it and you start going down that sort of like rabbit hole it's like stepping out the matrix i was just going to say the same thing the blue and the red pill yeah yeah Yeah, it's 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 crazy and then and then you once you've seen it you can't unsee it it's um it's crazy but it it, it, that's really good advice about having you know that compassion for yourself and um uh, because i think that that's what's going to lead to improved health and, and better body image really which should kind of come hand in hand anyway I guess Johnny thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today it's been absolutely fascinating and I'm sure you will have a lot of people following you from this podcast but also I just want to say to anyone who who did hear you talking about the puppies even if you don't want to go on to uh, Johnny's profile to learn more about uh, disordered eating habits he's got an entire reel on there on his highlights that are just puppies Uh, and honestly I could if if I'm ever sad now I'm just going to go on your Instagram profile (laughs) and watch like the hundred pictures that are on that highlight reel because oh my god how how old are they in those first pictures like four weeks old or something no 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 like we so I need to provide the context the the litter of puppies was my fiance's mum's dog's litter and so we she gave birth in this room that I'm talking to you in so we looked after nine puppies from you know day dot until the time that all of them had left for their forever home at, at nine weeks and and two of the little nuggets are over there sleeping right now. They're, they're nearly seven months old now. Oh, so the hundred wow. photos and videos are of those pu- pu- nine puppies the day that they were born. Yep. So if anyone needs cheering up, there you go. <laughs> that's that's my advice. Get you. Yeah. 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 Made me so happy. Get involved with the puppy farm. <laughs> thank you so much, Johnny, and yeah, we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks thank for having you. me on. Thank you.